0: Let me first, before talking about what our, our school is about, first say that um, this is a school that will probably not appeal to you. It appeals to very few people. As you can see, we've been here 12 years and there's very few people who've joined us. And, you know, if it's your first time here, it will probably be your last. (laughs) (laughs) You know, or maybe a year from now you'll try again and see, does it make any more sense this time? The odds are you won't be interested in what we're teaching, Okay, I want to make that very clear, and don't feel bad. You know, you won't, but don't. We're here to appeal to a very, very tiny minority of people. And it's a space that is hard to find if you are in that minority. Then you'll appreciate it, okay? But, it's a space that will only interest you if you have tried religions and religious answers and ways of being don't satisfy you. This is not a religious school. It's for those for whom religion is not enough. It's mythological, it's prayer, it's ritual, it's dogma, it's all of that, but it doesn't fulfill you, okay? So if you're happy in your religion, or if you're not happy in it, but you're looking for another religion, this isn't the place that will satisfy you, because we're not about that. But it's also for people who aren't satisfied with the scientistic answers to reality. You know, the answers that tell you this is all uh, random, it's natural selection, it's uh, material and uh, the mind is an epiphenomenon of the neural nets and uh, all of that kind of uh, verbiage and that uh, one should uh, be satisfied with a life in which uh, you will be able to get some sensory pleasure but nothing else. Uh, and that's uh, it's basically a life in which mind doesn't really fit in uh, it's an illusion well, if if that satisfies you if, if you believe what science in its current form and most of, of its current form is actually not its true form because most of what you have probably learned in school about science is pre-quantum physics because even though quantum physics is a hundred years old, it hasn't filtered into the school system or the collective consciousness. It's incredible to me. Uh, because it overturns the Darwinian uh, and uh, the materialistic paradigms. But you don't usually hear about it. So we do study quantum physics here and its philosophical implications. But for most people who are into a, a Darwinian model, that too is, uh, is outrageous and they don't want to hear about it. So you have to have a very open mind because uh, there are different scientific paradigms out there. There's a war in the field of science itself and you need to be very open-minded to think your way through uh, that jungle as well. And uh, it's also a, um, a school which will not appeal to you if you are satisfied with the answers and the resolutions you come to in psychotherapy of whatever kind, or psychoanalysis, or Jungian analysis, or transpersonal psychology even. Uh, Because uh, what we discover is that we're not simply psychological beings. There is a logic uh, to the structure of the ego, but because we're more than the ego, uh, those things will only take you so far. And the, uh, the psychoanalysts admitted that, that all they can do is take you from uh, neurotic unhappiness to normal unhappiness. But they can't take you to happiness, because there's no such thing as happiness. That's their, their paradigm. You know, you just keep working and you adapt. Well, you know, if that's enough for you, then that's fine too. Or, or there are moments if you're a Jungian of, of glimmering some uh, archetypal symbolic reality that may give you an aha experience, but it's temporary and that kind of thing. Or even if you're somebody who is into entheogens and wants to have ayahuasca trips and other kinds of uh, altered states of consciousness um, of that variety, this school will not interest you. Um, But we, you know, it has been pretty well documented that those things leave you disappointed as well. And, you know, to have an experience of of an altered state is one thing, to understand its implications is another, and to not go psychotic as a result of it is yet another. It's a very dangerous kind of path. And, And one that is ultimately a dead end from our perspective. So, there's there's no cheap thrill here, there's no shortcut, and there's no uh, uh, blind faith. There's no certainty, because we don't give dogmatic answers here. We help you to ask questions, but the answers have to come from looking within. Most people don't want to do that, so you can all leave now if you want, and, <laughs> or you can be kind and let me continue. <laughs> At least wait for the music and the popcorn. I'm just giving a commentary. You got the teaching already, anyway. um. Okay, so that's, that's what we don't do. What is this school actually for? It has three basic intentions. One is to help you think the unthinkable. The second is to help you bear the unbearable. And the third is to help you dare the impossible. So let's take these one at a time. Obviously, most people don't want to think the unthinkable. And there are different levels of unthinkability. And the first level is really more the resistance to coming out of denial. It's not that it's really unthinkable, but I don't want to think about it. It's that level, right? And that has to do basically with prudence. You know, any prudent business person will have um, fallback positions in, in case of worst-case scenarios, right? Uh, they'll have a plan B, at least, if not a plan C. and. Uh, ability to flexibly adapt to changes in the market and changes in availability of this or that product or demographics or whatever, right? Well, most people do not want to think about the fact that this entire system is about to collapse. That's too much to deal with. I can deal with minor setbacks within the system, but to imagine that the system itself would be gone is too much. I don't want to go there. Okay. The problem is it's coming to a neighborhood near you, <laughs> whether you go there or not. So if you want a plan B, and if you want to think your way through this and to survive, then it's worth thinking about this before it happens. And if you're pregnant and you're going to have a child, you really ought to be thinking about this because the child's life will depend on this. Okay. It's not just a matter of the global economic system that's about to collapse. That's easy. Everybody can see that. But the climate change is really happening, even though they try to keep you in denial. But uh, you know, there are water shortages in huge parts of the world, including in the US and including in Europe and other places and even in Guanacaste, as we know. And there are superstorms. As we've seen in the last few days here, there's an increase in seismic activity. (laughs) Hard to deny, even though you may want to. And it's getting more intense. Uh, That's going to lead to some consequences that will make life uh, in the normal way that we take for granted very difficult. It's going to challenge us. And the seas are rising. I don't know whether you're (coughs) keeping up with that, but since most of the metropolitan areas of the world are built at sea level. This is going to create some problems. There's an increase in radioactivity, the Fukushima disaster is still going on. There will be more of those as the seismic activity continues, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to belabor the point because we all know uh, the horrors of what's going on. The Ebola and the other uh, diseases for which there are no cures, there are no antibiotics are increasing. Uh, All of the things that were actually written about in the book of Revelations, horror of horrors, are coming true. We don't want to be apocalyptic, because who wants to believe that? But let's be realistic about it and say, what do we do? Do we want to survive this time of tribulations that we're in? Do we want to prepare for when the oil price goes up so high you can't fill your car with gas and... There may be food shortages, and there may be shortages of various other things you've taken for granted. Do you want to prepare for that, or do you want to be in denial? Okay, so that's the first level of thinking the unthinkable, is preparing to survive through this. And if you don't care, because you're already of a certain age, you say, okay, I'll just die, I don't care, but what about your children? What about, what about other people who are beginning their careers and would like to live through this period? And you might want to help, if not your own children, uh, others who are worthy of, of surviving. Do you want to offer a Noah's Ark for those who would like to get on it and survive the flood that's coming? You might want to offer some help for that, or you might not. But uh, if, if arks of this kind aren't built, uh, very few people will survive. That's a fact. So. Uh, these things need to be factored into your world view because they are coming, as I say, they're unavoidable. And Costa Rica is not immune, it's in a better position than most places in the world, it's not a war zone, it's not militarized in the same way, it's got biodiversity, it's got some water and it's got a lot of things going for it that many other places don't, but that doesn't mean that things will be easy here, if you're not prepared, if you're not growing your own food, if you're, you're not living in a place that's seismically safe, etc. etc. OK. All of the details and the fine print of all of that has, has to do with one of the levels that we study here, if you're interested. But the real issue is, is this, th- in terms of thinking the unthinkable. One of them is that whether you're in denial now, whether you're a hard uh, um, believer in atheism or not, as you approach uh, old age and death, assuming you make it that far, because this is a time of sudden death and, and people are dying young in all kinds of ways, but let's say you make it through to a relatively old age, at some point you will have to face death. And although we don't like to think about it, Uh, Death is an important transition that people in earlier cultures used to be trained to deal with. That was one of the functions of religion, in fact, and of metaphysics, is to help people face death. Most people today who are atheistic think, well, death is just like deep sleep. What do you need to face? You know, I won't be there, so I don't need to deal with it. Well, what if that's not the case? What if instead of deep sleep, it's a dream state that you enter? And what if that dream might end up being a nightmare? And that there's nobody who can wake you out of that nightmare because you won't be in your body anymore. This is the teaching of uh, many religions. This is the meaning of hell, Okay, by the way. It's not that God sends you to hell. It's that you may have a bad conscience and you may have things repressed in your unconscious that you've never faced, but when you die you can't stop them from coming up any longer. And you can't just take a Prozac or a taffil, or whatever it is you take to deal with it, drink a bottle of wine, whatever. You can't defend against these things coming up. And then you're in a hell realm, and uh, unless you know and have learned the skills to get out of it, to get into a more heavenly realm, or into a, a place of, uh, of, of grace, you, you might wish you had uh, prepared for that, because it's real. So that's one aspect of the unthinkable that should be thought about, and not just at the time of uh, your deathbed. There's also the question of karma, uh, that the Eastern religions certainly uh, talk about a lot. And it's even there in Christianity, although they they talk about it more in terms of purgatory and hell, etc. But what if you're making your destiny now not just for this life, but for future lives that are determined on the basis of your actions in this life, whether you're born in a wealthy family or a poor one, and you have a healthy body or a sick one, etc. And if you can determine now your destiny by your actions and your thoughts and all that, wouldn't you want to know how to create the best possible destiny? If you're a capitalist, you want money in the bank. Well, this is money in the bank for future lives, right? You would think it would make sense to live in a way that would ensure your best future lives. And a lot of Eastern wisdom is about that. Or about graduating from this school and not coming back and being done with the whole thing because you've learned what the lessons are, okay? You've got that choice too. But in any case, there are consequences to every action and every thought. And unless you're living in a state of very good psychic hygiene and living an ethical life that is impeccable, there are going to be some negative consequences. That's just a fact, because there, there is justice in the world, even though it doesn't look like it in the short term. In the long term, there is. Uh, and whether you believe that or not, it, it might be worth considering and reflecting on and coming to your own decision after you've looked at this unthinkable possibility with some, uh, some, some open-minded reflection. So that's one level of it. And, and then uh, even more so, just the question of, are you ready? Let's assume that you're wrong about your atheism. And you really will have to face God. If you're, if you're so lucky that you get to face God at the end of life, are you prepared uh, to face God's judgment, God's gaze? Have you lived your life to the full? Have you been generous and good and pure and all the things that, if you can imagine, God uh, questioning you about or seeing through whatever self-deceptions there were in your way of living, are you prepared to, to, to face God with a clean heart, with love, with, with transparency, without uh, a feeling of guilt or shame? It's a question that everyone has to answer for themselves. And so uh, it's not my job to judge, but I'm working on it. I know that. For me that's urgent to make sure that, it, that all of the accounts are settled and that I can. And so this school exists to help those who would like to be able to not only live a pure life now and feel good about your life, and what you're doing with your resources—mental and creative, and uh, financial and energetic, whatever—but also uh, to be a role model to help others uh, to rise to higher levels of their potential. All of that uh, is uh, is involved. And the other uh, the other issue is that we have lived in a society that values egocentricity and pseudo-autonomy. And tells you live for yourself, for your desires, for your satisfactions on an ego level. Don't care about anybody else, don't create community. Communities are a problem, a bother, etc. But now we're living in a time where we will face the need to be in communities if we're going to survive. And to live in a community is a challenge. And it requires a lot of maturity, a lot of growth, to be able to be harmoniously with other people, when you can't just slam the door and be in your own apartment, and you've got to, you need somebody's help. And uh, and we're gonna need each other's help soon, in a way that this society is not preparing us to deal with. So uh, this requires then a dharma, an agreement on what is the right way to live, what is the truly ethical way of being with one another, in which uh, everybody gets their needs met, nobody oppresses the other, uh, and in which we can enhance each other's lives and bring out uh, our full potential. So these are the kinds of issues that for most people have been unthinkable and that you haven't had to think about, but that reality itself may face us with, and sooner than we imagine. The second issue has to do with bearing the unbearable. And this relates to the first, in that many of us are carrying unbearable pain in our own unconscious mind, and we don't want to know about it. That's also unthinkable, but it's there. And the result of our not thinking about it is it tends to create then psychosomatic symptoms in our body. That's how things that we can't think about Uh, get get re-rooted into either bodily uh, suffering or the suffering of interactions with others in which we uh, feel unloved and abandoned and other kinds of uh, of shocking and uh, unhappy situations. That's karma and that's uh, the real uh, issue with illness. And the allopathic medical system doesn't deal with that. They just give you pills and uh, cut out organs and do things like that. They don't help you to heal uh, what's really bothering you that turn into most of the illnesses. And therefore, the illnesses tend to become chronic and not to be healed, not to be dealt with. or one symptom is dealt with, but it shows up as another. And our medical system is not very good at dealing with those quite frankly. So, to bear the unbearable means that we look at what has been repressed in the unconscious. We bring it up with courage and with truthfulness and with love for ourselves, forgiveness and mercy. And we find a way to resolve the issues that we have never faced. Usually from early infancy and childhood, that we don't want to look at. Because it would mean perhaps altering our loyalties and relationships and fantasies and uh, uh, imaginary ways of relating in the world. And we don't want to upset uh, a balance in the family system or the social system or whatever. So it takes courage to do that. And then there's the unbearable, not just of the past, but of the present, of feeling too weak to do this feeling like I can't change my life. I don't have the willpower, I don't have the, what it takes to persevere, I don't have the discipline, I don't have, et cetera, et cetera. Of course we do have it if we want to have it, but we have to face the laziness and the fear and the immobility and the inertia and all of the ways in which we've made excuses for remaining at lower levels of our potential then are good for us or adequate to the challenges of life. And in which case we become victims of life rather than victors of our circumstances and conquerors of the karmic suffering and uh, people with the capacity to provide the service of healing for others, the compassion. The Buddhists call that being a bodhisattva. Or being a Christ, be, be, living in Christ consciousness, and and then there's the the unbearableness of the suffering of the world that is here now, because the world is suffering now. Maybe it's isolated to certain spots where there are wars and genocides and disasters going on, but, but those are increasing to include most of the planet. But also we know that in the future it will be a global and someone has to bear that unbearable pain and help people to heal from it. Do we have the strength to face uh, what is about to come? And are we preparing to be of service, not just to try to hide from it or survive it, but actually uh, serve the world in the way that it needs, Uh, it will need help in the the very near future. Okay, and then the third uh, question that we help people to ask here is, am I willing to dare the impossible? And that is that most of us think it's not possible to transcend the ego, that it's not possible to realize God while you're alive. It's not possible to be someone who can download inspirations at the level of the great geniuses, whether it's Mozart or uh, Einstein or Picasso or whoever you're imagining as, as a great artist or scientist or composer or... A philosopher or healer, whatever. But what if that's not true? What if you do have that potential and you're selling yourself short? Are you willing to dare the impossible and to find out how great you could be if you stopped holding yourself back? And most people do hold themselves back because they're afraid of failing. So they give the excuse, well, if I had tried, I would have, right? But I didn't try. And that's how most people get through school, and that's how they get through life, and uh, they have pre-made excuses. And they never test themselves to what are the limits? What could I actually do in my life if I were to really go for it all out? And the problem is, if you do, you will become so different than everyone else that you'll end up, you know, having a school like this where nobody wants to come you know or you'll be a musician with no audience because your music is too advanced right that, and that's the fear you'll you'll achieve such a state of high consciousness that you'll look like you're mad to most people and and it is a kind of madness i admit it and but it's divine madness and eventually those who are willing to live in that state become the great geniuses but usually it's the next generation that appreciates it right Van Gogh didn't sell one painting during his life. Now they're going for 50 million, but that doesn't help his bank account anymore, right? Maybe in a future life he becomes an art collector and gets back some of the royalties, but there's no guarantees about that. So it, it is a question of, do you dare to be that different from everybody else? That uh, you will be creating a new culture, a new aesthetic, a new truth, a new dispensation, if you will, a new, a new reality, a renaissance, because that's what we need. We live in a culture that's exhausted, it's dead, it, it has lost that life spark, it's corrupt, uh, and people are going along, they're, they're doing the motions, but they know uh, that they're selling themselves short. And so, do you dare to discover your greatness? This is a school which not only allows, but encourages you to reach those levels of divine madness that nobody else will appreciate or understand. But you have an audience here, a small one, but you have one. (laughs) And... It's a place where not only do you have an audience, but you have other people as mad as you who will join you in co-creating synergistically new forms of art, new forms of drama, new forms of music, new forms of, 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 of healing, all of it, in, in a way that brings together everyone's potentials and everyone's knowledge and everyone's talents Uh, and the legacy of the wisdom of all the cultures of the past. Everyone's invited here, this is a huge party. And uh, whatever you have gained from your uh, upbringing and your reading and your uh, inner work is welcome. And there's always more to learn. I'm a student here, I don't, I don't call myself a teacher. I'm studying very hard and I'm sharing what I'm learning, that's all, but there's no, uh, there's no difference between students and teachers, because the minute we stop learning, then we have nothing to teach. We get fossilized, we get petrified, and you start to try to sit on your laurels and you find that they have some thorns in them and it's not very comfortable. So, if those questions are of interest to you, and that's very rare that they are, and I'm trying to scare you away because, you know, this, this is dangerous stuff. Because once you have opened up your heart and once you've opened up your mind to this, it's very hard to go back into that world. So I warn you, don't do it, uh, unless you're totally sure you don't want to go back there because you'll know too much to go back and then you'll be in no man's land. You can't be here because it's too hard to deal with truths that you haven't faced, but you can't go back, and uh, you don't want to be in that position, right? There's a few people. Yeah, damn right. Why didn't you tell me that the first day? So now I'm warning everyone. uh, You've got to really be willing to go for it, or uh, don't open the door. But... I think it's the only way to live in which you will be able to die fulfilled knowing that there isn't any unlived energy in you that needs to come back and do it again, right? In a maybe worse situation. But it is going to challenge you to the maximum. And it will produce events of great, uh, groundless feeling of being alone in the void and uh, feelings of, uh, of, of complete lostness and the dark night of the soul kind of situation. What Robert Anton Wilson called chapel perilous, when you can't trust anything and how do I know this guy isn't lying to me and, you know, po- total paranoia. Okay, that's what you have to look forward to if you join this school, right? <laughs> Hopefully it's a passing phase. But you do have to go through that because how do you trust anything once you realize that everything you thought you knew wasn't true, how do you discover what is true? You you have to reach a point where you have found that truth in your heart that is so deep it's beyond doubt. But it can't be solved on a level of belief. It can't be solved because somebody else believes that I'll believe in it, or this holy book says it, or this scientist has a theory about it. That won't work. It's It's got to come from your own heart, having discovered this truth. And that means a lot of layers of defenses in front of your heart have to be removed, and that's painful and not so easy to accomplish. Growth is painful. And this school requires uh, maximum growth to a point that no other school system, no other form of therapy even imagines or attempts to get to. Uh, Even beyond religious sainthood or sagehood or those kinds of things, which can largely be mythical or imaginary or, you know, based on uh, certain uh, experiences. But no, this is a, a level of living that is almost unprecedented in which we have to be willing to objectively look at the limitations of the ego structure, uh, the limitations on what we want to know, on what we retain, on what we're able to to mobilize and uh, turn into uh, willpower and into an appreciation of beauty and uh, of open-hearted love and all of that which is dangerous, it's risky, uh, it's a way of living that has very few role models out there uh, to, uh, to, to uh, be able to resonate with, and it's a way of living that uh, will leave you in groundlessness for a long time. And yet, it, it will also deliver you unto the absolute truth, of what this reality really is. And it's, to me, the only way to get there, by questioning everything, including yourself, and peeling away all the layers of the onion until you get to the core. And, uh, and, and, and there may not be a core. It may be emptiness. And then be willing to go into the emptiness. So although I can testify from my own experience that yes, you have to go into the emptiness, but in the emptiness there is the hidden fullness and the grace and the love and the light and the beauty of what has been called God but will appear in a way that no religion will explain God to you. It's a perilous journey. And few make it all the way. But do we have any alternative if we are living in the truth of the human spirit, in the truth of the nature of our being that is made in the image of God, of that divine power? Do, do we have any uh, right or ultimately any ability to hide from the truth? And what the great sages say, that if you hide from it, it'll come to get you in the form of monsters and demons and hell realms and that kind of thing anyway. So why not go there voluntarily and, and it becomes a heaven, it becomes joyous, blissful, rather than, oh my God, it's too monstrous to face. That's our, really our only choice. You can meet the wrathful deities or the benign deities, but you're going to meet those powers that are beyond the ego one way or another. And if they have to tear you open, they'll do it. If if you're already open, they'll give you love and fill you with uh, the joy of, uh, of, of welcoming you into the celestial realms. But one way or another, we all get there. But there's no avoiding it. So this school is to make that journey as, as quick, as painless, as beautiful, as uh, communal uh, as possible to do and to emphasize the, the side of God that is mercy and that is joy and, and that is freedom and that is empowerment, uh, not sin and guilt and ignorance and those elements of religion that tend to make us very pessimistic about our uh, potentials in the world. Because we have the ability, if we are open to it, to live lives of complete fulfillment. So, the basis of, of this is to encounter the truth, to be able to put that truth into words and, and transmit it, to be able to express it in, in the form of the arts, uh, but also to go beyond words and beyond images and beyond all mental objects and to sit in the silence at the very core of our being without moving from that center that we can call the heart and to feel the presence of God within us as pure love that isn't desire, it isn't love for something external, and it's not love for one's own ego, it has nothing to do with the ego, it has to do with that which is within us that transcends any limited definition, transcends the body, transcends this life, transcends space and time, but is that which is most real. And so this, that we're calling God is really the self. It's not an other, it's not an entity, it's not a mythological object, it's what we are. And because it's what we are, we have the right and the power to realize that. And But the cost is letting go of our illusions, letting go of our, the self-deceptions, letting go of the limited desires that keep us from the ultimate one. So it's very simple. If you want it wholeheartedly, you will get it. You will get everything. Seek and thou shalt find. It's true. Knock and it will be opened unto you. But you have to knock hard and consistently and really want it opened unto you. If you do, it will happen. So we're here just to help that happen.